doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. That's where we've been. Working our way through the 23rd Psalm, Life Without Lack, Abounding Grace for My Fearfulness is what we're talking about this weekend. Also grab your sermon notes out. You'll notice there a big quote, really, really an important quote. Follow with me as I read. Our emotions tell us our values and evaluations. What you value will be seen, will be reflected in your emotions. And even your evaluations of the events of life will be seen in your emotions. Our emotions tell us what we really believe. Not, we say, not what we say we believe, but what we really, really believe. Therefore, not even fear, worry, and anxiety can be attributed to something that happens to us. The Bible leaves us no room for debate. The source of fear, worry, and anxiety is, what's that word there? Unbelief. unbelief. It's unbelief. When we fail to believe that God is for us, will take care of us, has our future in his hands, and is with us right now, we cave into fear, worry, and anxiety. That's a quote from Brian S. Borgman from his book, Feelings and Faith. I'm on my second time through the book. It's an outstanding book. This morning we're talking about, we've landed now on uh, this part of the 23rd Psalm, verse 4a, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Now we're going to answer two questions here this morning. The first one is, what is the valley of the shadow of death? It's not what most people think it is. And so we need to define that. And uh, in fact, you will go through this valley of the shadow of death multiple times in your life. So it's important to understand what it is. We're going to define it. And then the next question is, how do we get through it? How do we get through that valley of the shadow of death, overcoming fearfulness? That's where we're headed with our study. Would you bow your heads once again with me? We ask for God's help to understand his word. Father God, I know that there are those listening to this message that are, that are experiencing all kinds of fear, worry, and anxiety over finances and relationships and children and jobs and health problems and, and any number of life struggles. So we pray that through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit may May the truth that you are for us and will take care of us, that you have, you have our future in your hands and you are with us right now. May those truths not just be clear to our minds, but may they be real to our hearts. May your perfect love, your perfect love chase away the fear, worry, and anxiety in our lives 
For your glory, we pray in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Let's, uh, I've asked you to begin to memorize the 23rd Psalm, and it's not too late if you haven't started. We're halfway there. This is the halfway point of our study, but let's read the 23rd Psalm together and aloud. Are you guys ready? Sit up in your seat, nice and loud. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are worth me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, my goodness. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, oftentimes that's read at funerals, but it's not a a psalm of death. It's a psalm of life. And it's quite amazing as we've been working through this. So what is the valley of the shadow of death? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The phrase shadow of death is one Hebrew word describing a deep ravine. And it was very common, very common practice in Palestine for shepherds during the summer months. So during the winter months, they would have their sheep down in the valleys and then during the summer months to lead their sheep on long treks through, through difficult valleys onto high country summer ranges for better pasture. Very common. And uh, during this walk, there would come a time when cliff walls become so narrow and treacherous that, that darkness and danger were a terrible threat. Darkness, yes, uh, because of the sun being blocked out and danger because there were storms and uh, flooding, raging rivers, avalanches, rock slides, poisonous plants, wildlife predators. And so you had those two kinds of threat as they're taking this trek from the valleys up to the mountaintops for the grazing and the pasture land for the sheep. Now, here's your first uh, couple fill-in-the-blanks on your notes. So we're answering the question, what is the valley of the shadow of death? It is different for different people because of the many variables in our individual lives. It's going to be different for different people because of the many variables in our individual lives. So I want to start start with this because our tendency is to expect all Christians to be filled with love, joy, peace, and groovy vibes. Just everybody's just, oh, wow, you're a Christian? Yes, I am too, and that's fantastic. But, but we have no idea what people have gone through. We have no idea what people have gone through and the raw material they're working with. And so, therefore, we need to cut each other a lot of slack and seek to understand where people are coming from. We're so quick to judge, and we need to really kind of try to find out where are these people coming from? What's going on? Tell me your story. That would be a good question to ask people from time to time. And then you'd be going, oh my goodness, you're doing really well. I applaud you. You know, after hearing their story, I've done that many times. Here's the next point in your notes. It is the difficult times in our lives, the darkest nights, the deepest and loneliest places. 
So I came up with a, a list to describe that. Uh, maybe you fit somewhere on this list. You could probably add to this list. So that would be a cancer diagnosis, loss of a child or loved one, pregnancy miscarriage, loss of a job, chronic injury and pain from an accident, rebellious son or daughter, divorce, adultery, or troubled marriage, major financial problems, betrayal of a close friend, aging parents with health issues, family members who are obnoxious and hard to get along with. Anybody have a few of those? Unfair boss or college professor, a career or business that never develops, and the list goes on. You could add to that list, I'm sure. Here's, here's kind of the bottom line of what it is. The next point on your notes, it is whatever creates hopelessness. It's whatever creates hopelessness in you that can be called a valley of the shadow of death. When you, pl- when you face that place of hopelessness. So when we, when we hear the words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. When you think of valley of the shadow of death, most people think of, well, they're dying. They're on their deathbed. Not necessarily. That can be it. But it's hopelessness. It's hopelessness in, in your life. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So setting aside any uh, physiological contributions, this can range from, and I mentioned this back a few weeks ago when I talked about he restores my soul, because we need our souls restored, and so it can range anywhere from listlessness to depression to suicide. That's why we need our souls restored oftentimes. Now, 2 Corinthians 6.10 gives us a healthy Christian, what a healthy Christian psychologically and emotionally looks like. It just kind of, it's a short verse, and it says this, 2 Corinthians 6.10, that we are, as believers, we are sorrowful, yet rejoicing. That's, that's healthy psychology, and, and you know that you're healthy emotionally when you, when you know that you can, you can grieve, but you don't grieve like the world grieves because you have hope. You're sorrowful. Yeah, there's a lot of sorrow all around us. We all experience sorrow, but in the midst of the sorrow, we rejoice. We, can, we, we have something to put our hope in. See, joy is uh, this idea of rejoicing. Joy is a buoyancy in our life. So life can push you down, but it can't keep you down. It's a buoyancy in our life. It's based on the pleasures that we have in the eternal privileges that are ours in Christ Jesus that are greater than any sin or suffering. So we're sorrowful, we're in touch with reality, and yet we rejoice because of what we have in Christ. And uh, that's important. I need to point that out to you and really help you to understand this idea of hopelessness. The opposite of joy is not sadness. Oftentimes you ask people, what's the opposite of joy? Oh, sadness. No, it isn't. Not based on what the Bible says. It's hopelessness. And so sorrow, listen to me. If you get this, if you kind of understand this, you're going to understand kind of our makeup and as we're navigating through the difficulties of life. Sorrow is losing a good thing. We're going to be sorrowful in this world. 
We're going to lose good things. But hopelessness or despair is what happens when you lose an ultimate thing. When the thing that you have lost is more important to you than God. That's what happens. It creates despair because your meaning, hope, and happiness was anchored in that and now it's gone. And so, now remember, I asked you to not only memorize the 23rd Psalm, but I asked you to memorize also the definition of contentment because that's what this, this what Psalm is all about. So what is contentment? Because that's what David is saying, that we can find contentment in, in our Savior, in our good, good shepherd. So contentment is the inward, as in inside of us, inward, gracious. It's based on the favor of God in our lives, his grace. Oh, my goodness, we have his favor, we have his grace, we have a relationship with him, yes. So you can't achieve contentment on your own. It's an inward work, not based on circumstances. It's by God's grace. So it's an inward, gracious, quiet spirit. What is a quiet spirit? There's, there's no uh, bitterness towards the past, complaining about the present, worry about the future. Quiet spirit. So it's an inward, gracious, quiet spirit that, here it is, joyfully, joyfully, joyfully rests in the presence and providence of God, regardless of circumstances. That's what we have in him. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt hopeless? Think about the time when you have, and I know that some of you are currently right now. I've talked with you. When have you felt hopeless? Ask my wife this. I asked our staff this this last week. When was the last time or when have you felt hopeless? I want you just to think about that for a minute. I know what it feels like to be hopeless. I know what a dark valley feels like. It's absolutely horrible, terribly painful. You feel like it's going to last forever. It's overwhelming. I've had dark valleys of family conflict. I just thought, oh my goodness. I've had dark valleys of, of marriage difficulties. My wife almost cashed it in back about seven to eight years into our marriage relationship. It was so hard. We felt like giving up. I have experienced dark valleys of work. Not this work, but when I was working construction, I had days, I, didn't, I had weeks, I had months, I didn't even want to go to work, but I knew I had to, to provide for my family. I felt hopeless, I felt stuck. I felt hopeless and I've had overwhelming sense of hopelessness with my children. There have been times with my children, just trying to help them navigate through life and work through their difficulties. I have felt hopeless, yes, in this church back in 2001, 
my wife said she also felt that hopelessness too, and it was just, it was overwhelming. Are we going to get through this? Is this church going to crash and burn? Are we going to survive this? So I'm sure that you have experienced hopelessness. We all have, we all will, we all do. Here's the next point on your notes. It is inevitable, unpredictable, and uncontrollable. It is inevitable, unpredictable, uncontrollable. John 16, 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's gonna be hanging on the cross. They're pretty anxious. They're filled with fear. And he says, I tell you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You're gonna feel hopeless. But take heart, take heart. I have overcome the world so he's just saying it's inevitable. And then in James 1, 2 through 3, James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That word meet trials is literally, it's gonna come out of nowhere. I didn't see that coming. You're gonna have those things that are gonna come out of nowhere and you're gonna go, man, I, there's no way I could have even planned for that or prepared for that. The Bible says that those kind of things can happen. And then 1 Peter 4, 12 Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes up on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So he uses comes upon you, happening to you. It's uncontrollable. It's uncontrollable. Suffering confronts us with our tendency to assume that, that we are in greater control of our lives than, than what we really are. And when we think we are in control of our lives more than what we really are, we tend to take credit for the things in our lives. We take credit for the good things in our lives more than we should. It's evidence that we think we're more in control than what we really are. Now, let me be very honest with you here. If I were in control, I would not let any difficulty of any kind, big or small, into my life. You agree with that? Okay, some of you are saying, no, Pastor Ray, I, would, I just love difficulties. I would invite difficulties. No, you wouldn't say that. I know, I know better. I know you. You're like me. If I was in control, no difficulties. Every day of my life. And yet, because I have difficulties in my life, it is a reminder that I am not in control. And you are not in control. There are only two kinds of hope. Hope built on the temporal, created things, and hope built on the eternal, the creator. All of us are putting our hope in something or someone. And hopelessness is a sign that you have built your hope on created things. That level of despair and that created thing is letting you down and it's devastating you. But hopelessness is opportunity to take your misplaced hope from created things and relocate them in the creator. So uh, as believers, we will, you will experience hopelessness. You're gonna be overwhelmed at times and yet it's beautiful opportunity to relocate your misplaced hope and say yes, even in the midst of this. And it might take time. I know that for me, there have been things that happened to me that took me months 
to relocate my hope in Christ. There was a, a thing that happened to me a number of years ago that took me a year to work through it because it was so devastating to me to, to get my hope out of, out of that and put it into Christ Jesus. But you've got to process it. You've got to do it. You've got to work through it. You've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He's working in your life and through your life through that. So you've got to relocate it and say, even in the midst of difficulties, God, you are with me. I don't feel it right now, but I'm going to work that deep into my heart. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. You've got to hang on. Hopelessness is the only doorway to true, lasting hope. And so I mentioned all those things in my life, and there's many more, and I know that you've had those things in your life. I'm telling you, I've been able to get through those things, and I've experienced his presence in ways that, that before I only dreamed about, and I understand who God is more clearly than ever. So how do we get there? That's the next question. How do we get through it Overcoming fearfulness. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. There is just this amazing, there's this amazing transition that's happening in this psalm. I don't know if you noticed this, but you notice he begins the psalm and he's talking about God. And so he goes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then he goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, do you hear the transition? And the rest of the psalm is addressing God. It's to God. It's intimacy with God. So it goes from talking about God to talking to God because you, you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, I will fear no evil because you, you are with me. It's almost like he gets that sense, overwhelming sense of, of God's presence. And Oh, you are with me. You will never leave me or forsake me. And then the rest of the psalm is about this really level of intimacy with, with him, with the, with the shepherd, with the good shepherd. And so it's, it's, it's fun to sing songs about God, but listen to me, it's even better to sing songs to God. Wasn't that worship set really great? Oh my goodness. Couldn't have fit better for this message. And we could have left after that. It was over. I mean, it was, there was plenty of the Bible, the gospel, just, just being rehearsed and thought through and walking through the implications and driving them deep into our heart. And absolutely amazing. And so we are not talking about good fear here, obviously, that preserves our lives, but unhealthy, sinful fear. Now, let me remind you of what we talked about, the, the quote at the beginning. The source of fear, worry, and anxiety is not your circumstances. It's not your circumstances. I'm not minimizing your circumstances. We all go through really, really bad circumstances. But it is unbelief. And when we fail to believe that God is for us, will take care of us, has our future in his hands, and is with us right now, we cave in to fear, worry, and anxiety. So what do we do? Because I've talked with people before, and they're, I mean, their emotions are off the scale, and then I'll say, well, he's with you. I know that. No, you don't know that. 
No, 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 I do know that. I know he's going to take care of me. No, you don't because your emotions are revealing something different. You may say it, but you don't know it. You're not experiencing it in your heart. So how do you experience it? How do you get that down into your heart? Well, we do what David is doing. We must confront our fear, worry, and anxiety with the truth of God's word. And so your best defense against the lies in your head is rehearsing the truth of God's word in your heart. And and by the way, you don't wait to do that when you're going through dark valleys, but before you go through dark valleys. Because uh, I've seen people not survive dark valleys because they did not have a spiritual arsenal that they could draw from. And they waited until they were going through the dark valleys and then they scrambled around trying to find Bible verses. Oh, I'm just trying to find a Bible verse. Well, you should have those Bible verses inside of you regularly rehearsing those things so that, man, they're like right there. You're ready. You're, you're armed and ready to go. And so this is about developing and reinforcing a biblical worldview. So part of your biblical worldview should be, here's your next point on your notes. It is only through the dark valleys that we can reach the mountaintop experiences. Remember the story in Palestine. I was also told in uh, Western civilization too, a lot of shepherds will take their uh, sheep from the lower valley areas and move them up to the higher mountain ranges where it's a little bit cooler. And, uh, and so that's what they would do. They would take this trek through the, the deep ravines and the valleys and all of that to get to what? To the mountaintop experiences. And we often envy, envy those who have ascended the heights of greater intimacy, maturity, and ministry in their relationship with God. When you see someone, they go, oh my goodness, I'd like to have what they have in their relationship with God. But little do we realize that it's only through the dark valleys that we can reach the mountaintop experiences. It's only through the dark valleys. In fact, let let me show you something here in our text in Psalm 23. Notice the sequence here, the flow of the text. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Remember we talked about divine decree, which is God's sovereignty, divine desire, which is God's word, and then divine direction, which is God's specific guidance for our lives. But, but what, I, I want us just to focus on this just for a minute, divine decree, it's his sovereignty. He's gonna lead you in ways sometimes you're not gonna like through his sovereignty. We're gonna talk more about his sovereignty through his providential guiding. And you know that's happening because he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And the next verse is, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. Wait, 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 wait. Who's doing the leading here? God? Yeah. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And then notice what he says in verse 4b, the second part. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod speaks of protection and discipline and staff speaks of direction What he's talking about here, this is all part of the flow of God's guidance and direction in our lives. And so your suffering is not just inevitable and unpredictable and uncontrollable, but it is also, listen to me, it's purposeful. Every bit of suffering that you've gone through is purposeful. It has not escaped the the notice of God. In fact, He's the one that is even orchestrating it, maybe even allowing it, and, and we've got to know that he's in control. That's, that's the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And it is meant to bring you into greater levels of maturity and intimacy and, yes, even ministry. 
as it relates to your relationship with God. People that are really prepared to minister to others. I mean, all Christians can minister to others when they're going through a dark valley just by loving on them and trying to understand where they're coming from and then pointing them to Jesus. But you're even more prepared when you go through those dark valleys yourself. You can identify with others. You'll cut them some slack. You seek to understand where they're coming from. And that's what God wants to do in your life. Let me ask you this. When have you grown the most in your relationship with God? When have you most grown in your relationship with God? Sitting on the beach in San Diego, reading a good book and sipping on a frappuccino? How many say, yeah, that's, that's when I've grown the most? Yep. In fact, I'm going to do it this summer. And that's when I'm going to really grow in my relationship with Christ. Well, you could certainly get recalibrated and really spend some great time with the Lord. But chances are, that's not when you grew the most. In fact, most people I've ever talked to, they'd say, it was during hard times. It was during difficult times. Oh, in fact, I felt hopeless. I was overwhelmed with hopelessness. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, listen to what Paul says. He's, he starts off with the first couple of verses and he says, I rejoice in all that God has done for me in Christ Jesus, and I rejoice in the good days, but, in verse 3 he says, but, but I rejoice in sufferings. Yes, I rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. Hope? Yes, that's what I need. But that hope, that hope, that eternal lasting hope only comes through suffering as he develops endurance, character, and then hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. No dark valley is too great to endure if it brings us into the mountaintop experience of the beauty and the glory of our good shepherd. So it is only through the dark valleys that we can reach the mountaintop experiences. Here's the next one. Even in the most difficult times, God is everything the Bible says he is. This is part of that biblical worldview. You gotta have a biblical worldview. So this is tough, but I'm gonna experience things in God that I never have experienced before. He's going to mature me and grow me, and I'm going to be able to better minister to others. And then, even in the most difficult times, God is everything the Bible says he is. Even though, did you notice that? He's saying, even though, he's thinking out the worst case scenario, which is actually really good for us from time to time, not to obsess over it and freak out, but to say, what, what if this happened to me? How would I respond is God's grace sufficient? Yes. So you've got to be able to do that. Even though, even in the worst case scenario, you see Job actually saying that in Job 13, 15. He says, even though he slay me, I will trust in him. You see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, you remember the story? King Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, everybody's going to bow down. When you hear the music, you bow down to this big golden statue of me, Mr. Egotistical there. And, uh, and these three dudes say, we're not. We're not bowing down. We only bow down to one God, and it's a true living God. And we're not intimidated by you in the least bit. He says, well, I'm going to throw you in the fire. He said, we don't care. 
And then they respond, it's just, I love it. These are tough dudes because they have solid faith in God. This is what they say to him. We're not afraid of you. You know, we're not fearful of your intimidations. But, but we know our God can save us, will save us, and even if he doesn't save us, we know that he has our best interest at heart. We're trusting in the one and true living God. That's what David is saying. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. That's what he's saying. So even in the most difficult times, he is still loving, wise, and in control. This is what needs to come to mind when you go through those difficult times in your life. Wait, wait, wait. He's still loving, wise, and in control. Even in the darkest nights, he, he still has your best interest at heart. Even in the deepest and loneliest places, he is with you to love you and empower you to face anything. That's what you've got to keep reminding yourself because that's what the Bible says. That's our reality. So things may be worse than you thought they could ever be, but God's grace is greater than you could have ever imagined. And so biblical faith lives at the intersection of brutal honesty and beautiful hope. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We don't trust God in dark valleys because we see his hand in our circumstances. We trust him in the dark valleys because we see his character on display in his infallible word. And we see his heart on the cross. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart and lean not upon your what? own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him the word acknowledge means cultivate intimacy with him get to know him and he will direct your paths now if unbelief is is the root of our fear worry and anxiety then we need to talk just a little bit about what faith is because there's a lot of confusion about faith it's crazy but faith is not wishful thinking it's not it's not, hey, it's not saying something like this. I didn't study for my test, but I have faith that I'm going to pass it. That's not faith, that's folly, okay? How about this one? I spent my whole paycheck on entertainment this month, but I know that God is going to make ends meet for me. That's not faith, that's folly. It's not wishful thinking. God has not promised to enable our responsibility. Faith is not, listen to me, it is not a feeling. It's not a force that somehow you tap into. It's not a formula. Get the formula right and everything will work out for you. It's not faith. Faith, listen to me, faith is fellowship with God. It's knowing God. It's knowing the God of the galaxies who loves you more than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. Faith is believing Jesus is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do. Now listen to me. It's not the size of your faith that gets you through the difficulties. It's the object of your faith. There's some really bad theology here in America today and it's throughout the world, but it says, well, you're, the reason why you're struggling is you just don't, you don't have any faith. You need bigger faith. We're just going to pray that God will give you bigger faith. It's like, that's ridiculous. That's, that's dumb. It's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith that gets you through. Even with small faith, you're going to get through this. 
even with a little bit of faith. I mean, it tells us in Matthew 17, 20, mustard seed faith can do what? Move mountains. Mustard seed faith, that's small faith. It's not the size of your faith, it's the object of your faith. Get to know the object of your faith and your faith will grow. So how many have ever met someone that the more you got to know them, the less you trusted them? Anybody like that? <laughs> Woo! Stay away from them. But, but the more you get to know God, the more you get to know him, believe me, your faith will soar. It's about intimacy with him. That's my favorite. That's the favorite thing about the Christian life. We have intimacy with God. We have him. We know him. We have his presence. And it's, it's a gift by grace through faith in Christ and what he's accomplished for us. It's absolutely amazing. So how do you trust someone? How do you grow in your faith? Get to know the object of your faith by looking at their track record. Where's God's track record? Where's God's track record? Don't all answer at once. It's the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God, Romans 10, 17. Now, I don't have anybody in mind, but let me just say this. I've heard people say this. I know God is with me because a butterfly landed on my shoulder while I was drinking coffee on my back porch this morning. And I, and I think, what the heck? I said, I could tell you that God is with you based on the infallible word of God. I'm all, I'm all cool with butterflies. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And that's cool. But why would you go for a butterfly when you've got the infallible word of God? He wrote it down for us. Through the blood of his son for you. And he promised you nothing can separate you from his love. And I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. And that's why we've got to saturate our lives. This is part of that biblical worldview. We need to know God's word and rest in God's word. So even in the most difficult times, God is everything the Bible says he is. Here's the next one. It won't always be this way. You will get through this dark valley and enjoy life again. Did you notice that in verse four? He says, even though I walk through, even though I walk through, you're gonna get through it. You're not camping out there. You're not staying there. He's not gonna keep you there. I know sometimes it feels like it's gonna last forever. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, why will he get us through our dark valleys? Why would he do that? Well, because, let's go back to verse 3b. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. Not for my name's sake, not for your name's sake, but for his name's sake. For his name's sake. God is not committed to bringing us through because we are good sheep, but because he is our good shepherd and we are his sheep. Listen to this verse. These were verses that we talked about last weekend. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. This is God speaking to us. When you pass Notice what he says. When you pass through the waters, 
I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, Yahweh. That's literally his personal name. I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, have you ever had someone tell you the end of a movie before you had a chance to see it and it wrecked your experience? Anybody like that? Did you want to choke them out? Probably not so much for that, but I, I know that I've, I've, have you ever DVR'd a sporting event so that you could watch it later only to have someone tell you the final score, score and spoil it for you? I will choke you out for that, okay? <laughs> and, um, but it's like, ah, you kind of blew the ending, but I know how this is going to go down and whatever, but here, here's, here, let me just give you a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Listen up. Spoiler alert. He wins. I mean, that's it. I don't know what you're going through. I'm telling you, he's in control. He knows he cares. He rules. And he wins. And that's what you've got to keep coming back to. You've got to keep focusing on that. In fact, his win will be so decisive that you will look back at your suffering and say it was light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that you are experiencing in him. 2 Corinthians 4.17 and some of that will be in this life, but most of it will be in the life to come. So how will some of that be in this life? Right here, last, last point on your notes. Intimacy with God is, is the greatest remedy to fearfulness, is the greatest remedy to fearfulness. I love, I absolutely love God's presence. I love intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. It says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 91, 1, I love 91, 1. I love 9 one I was a firefighter. What do you call when, you're, when you have an emergency? 9 one Psalm 91, 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Dwell in him, and believe me, you will find rest that is out of this world. Psalm 23 is about intimacy with God. How do you know that the psalmist David has an intimate relationship with God? Remember, faith is believing Jesus is who he said he is and will do what he said he will do. The best defense against the lies in our head is the rehearsal of God's word deep in our heart. David is rehearsing in song the character of the good shepherd and how it applies specifically to every need in his life. And, and I don't think he just sang this song once. I think this was a song that he sang regularly over and over and over again, and so do we. Tell me what occupies your mind and I will tell you who your God is. The more you spend considerable amounts of time in your prayer time and your daily life in praise and adoration of God, the deeper the intimacy with God that you have and the less fearfulness you'll experience, especially when dark valleys come. Now, let me end with a story here before we 
prepare hearts for communion. This is a story from a guy a few weeks ago on a Saturday night. Him and his wife are going through the valley of the shadow of death. And I knew that and I asked him, I said, would you be willing to give your testimony of what you're going through? And uh, he preferred to write it down and for me to read it. He wants to remain anonymous so that it's not about him but about his Lord. And this is what he said. Listen to what he says. To my beloved pastor, thank you so much for asking me to share a brief portion of my testimony regarding my brain tumor diagnosis. I consider it an honor to do so. It's 3 a.m. Sunday morning as I write this. My heart is full, full of joy in sharing God's splendor and goodness with others, full of excitement considering how this might result in others coming to a deeper understanding and appreciation of God's incredible love for them, full of hope knowing that by sharing this, my brain tumor has not been wasted. Even this, yes, especially this, should be used to bring glory to our magnificent Savior. This brain tumor has been the spiritual opportunity of a lifetime, an opportunity for my heart to be reshaped, refined, and healed. God, God has created the perfect storm for me, a storm intended to help me, not to harm me. The medical specifics of this diagnosis is that it is a grade one ganglioglioma located within my brain stem. I was diagnosed May 23rd, 2018, about a week or so from a year ago of this date, and had a craniotomy June the 6th, 2018. The surgeon's hope was to be able to remove as much of the tumor as possible in an effort to relieve its pressure off the surrounding tissue. The tumor is large and has displaced more than 50% of my cranial cord at the C1 level. Unfortunately, due to the manner in which this tumor has integrated itself into my brain stem, the presence of vital nerve and blood vessels immediately nearby and the overall fragility of the brainstem, the tumor is completely unresectable. The pathology report from the biopsy tissue sample indicate this tumor is non-responsive to radiation or chemotherapy. In short, there is absolutely no medical treatment for my condition. The medical prognosis gives an average survivability rate of 30 to 70 months with the mean at 5.4 years from date of diagnosis. Sounds like hopelessness to me. That was me. That wasn't what he said, okay. This would certainly come as depressing news to many. However, that has not been my experience thus far. I find my heart to be thankful and joyful, not for the tumor itself, but for the opportunity it provides to experience the wonder and magnificence of Christ Jesus in a way not possible for me without this suffering. The brain surgery pain and recovery was quite intense and there are still many difficult symptoms to adjust to daily, but all of these are so small in comparison to the many ways he has showered my wife. How he has showered my wife and I with his love. 
his presence in the midst of this suffering has been so sweet, so encouraging, so calming, and so comforting. My life is in crisis, but I am not panicked. My condition is medically terminal, but I have hope for a future in Christ. Woo. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you you are with me. Let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. So Father God, we know that we can't buy your faithful presence with our performance, but it only it, but it it has already it already has been purchased with the blood of your beloved son. And the way we receive it is by grace through faith in the person and work of our Savior Jesus. So I pray for my friends this weekend that need to do that right now. That they would acknowledge their sin that separates them from you, that they would believe that Christ died on the cross for their sins and confess him as their Savior, Lord, their treasure, the treasure of their lives. So God, as we now contemplate and celebrate through these communion elements, these communion elements that point to our Savior's physical incarnation, sacrificial death, resurrection, and coming kingdom, may we not do it in an unworthy manner, ritualistically, indifferently, unrepentant hearts, attitude of bitterness, any other ungodly attitude. As it tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 32. And so we pray, we pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search us, search us, O God, and know our heart. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any anxious, fearful, grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name, amen.